So today we get to kick off a brand new series that we're going to be in over the next several weeks called Best Prayer Ever. And what this series is going to be looking at is the, what do you want to say, the king of all prayers, I guess you could say that in a sense, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And to start off a series like this, I think it's rather appropriate to ask this question, um, rhetorical, how many of you would say you are a good prayer? Now, in all of my limited years of ministry, uh, but all the years of my life, too, I have yet to see someone just, like, launch their hand up at a Bible study or something and say, yeah, that's totally me. Absolutely. I feel like a really good prayer. But when I follow up with the follow-up question that is, how many of you would like to get better at prayer? It's, like, the exact opposite. Everybody, just every hand just goes up. It's it's like, especially for Christians, we know that prayer is a good thing, a great thing. It's something we want to do. It's something we know is important. But when it comes to actually praying and knowing how to pray and what to pray and what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, is appropriate even an appropriate word for the discussion of prayer? I don't know. Pastor, I'm, I'm really weak in this. I feel like I need a lot of help. And I could really um, illustrate that at the next meeting I have. The next growth group, the next time I have just a one-on-one -on -one meeting, maybe even without, with you outside here, if I were just to say, hey, do you want to just say a quick prayer right now? I know exactly what would happen. If I asked you to pray, your heart would like fall all the way into like the pit of your stomach and you'd be like, uh, and that feeling, you know that feeling, that feeling would just come over you and the, the panic thoughts and the rush of sweat and the, and the, uh, and the voice gets shaky, right? And, and, and you maybe stumble your way through something you know, and all the while thinking that everyone's judging you about what you're saying, what you're not saying. And then you would never want to meet with me ever again until you get it in writing or stamped in my blood that says, I will never have to pray in front of pastor or out loud ever again. It seems to be about my experience when it comes to people in prayer. And maybe your prayer life has not evolved past the uh, come Lord Jesus, be our guest mealtime prayer or the now I lay me down to sleep prayer if you did that with the little ones growing up. So pastor, you want me to pray and I want to get better at prayer, but I can't come up with the words. So why don't you write something that sounds really good, sounds really formal so I can just read it. Or better yet, make it simple, short, put it to a rhyme. And that's even better. That's why we're having this discussion over the next six weeks. A discussion on what is maybe one of the single greatest gifts that God has given to his church for 2,000 years almost now, the Lord's Prayer. I say it's one of the greatest gifts because the Lord's Prayer, um, a blessing as it is, those words that are so familiar to most, if not all of us here today, or are becoming familiar as we're learning them, are words that, so many people know that if, if you were visiting a relative in, in maybe a nursing home who had dementia or Alzheimer's, and you never know what season of life you're going to get when you talk to them, I'll bet, though, that if you were to start praying the Lord's Prayer, they'd start saying it right with you, right? That's, that's a rare thing. And yet, as great of a gift as the Lord's Prayer is, it is also maybe one of the most abused gifts that God has ever given the church because with such great familiarity breeds a lot of contempt, doesn't it? Um, in the words of another pastor, he said, the Lord's Prayer might be the greatest martyr in the New Testament church era because if wandering thoughts were knives, 
The Lord's Prayer would be stabbed hundreds, if not thousands of times whenever it's read any given Sunday, and I can already see some heads nodding. I think you might know what I mean, right? See if this sounds familiar. Start off with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven. Oh, okay. All right, Lord's Prayer time. That means the service is wrapping up. Hallowed be your name. Oh, unless we have communion. Okay, then it's going to be a little bit longer, probably 10, 15 minutes. Okay, your kingdom come, your will be done. Oh, man, I have to go back to school. The weekend's already almost done. Do I have all my homework done? And here we go. Well, at least summer's coming around the corner. Give us today our daily bread. More like a burger and fries. I am starving. It's Mother's Day. Can we go out for brunch, you know? And and, oh, did I turn the slow cooker on? Did I take the—I forgot to take the thing out of the oven today or the the fridge. It's got a thaw. Now we got to do something else. Can we just go to McDonald's? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Did I turn off the coffee maker? Is the garage door closed for the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. We're done. All right. It takes on average about 32 seconds to pray. And yet, is it amazing how many different thoughts can just swirl around in our heads when we're just going from memory? And, and have you ever prayed this prayer and then afterwards just thought, what did I even just say? Like, hallowed be your name. I don't even really know what hallowed is. Like, Halloween? I don't. And, and your kingdom come? Like, that's weird. Like, what does that even mean? That's kind of like an abstract concept. But, but hey, whew, at least I got those words memorized. At least I know them, and at least we say them again and again and again, right? That's why we're doing this series. Because what if the Lord's Prayer is not just 67 words of spiritual autopilot? What if it's actually the key to revitalizing and maybe revolutionizing your entire prayer life? That what if these seemingly strange requests and simple petitions or requests that that Jesus says aren't just words that he wants us to just rattle off from memory or just say, this is what you should pray, but rather things that he wants us to think about, pray about on their own, and a way of aligning ourselves with God. So instead of just saying them, we'd think through them and think about them, and and suddenly those requests become our requests, and we become aligned, not just in our prayer lives, but, but God's way of bringing us more in communion with him. You ever thought about that? And if that's the case, and I believe it is, then I think you would say, okay, this is definitely worth the time over the next six weeks. So that's what we're doing. That's where we're going. But today, as Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, before he said, here's what you should say, before he said a single thing that you ask for, he was very intentional on how you address God. A lot of times when we talk about prayer, uh, what's prayer? Talking to God, a conversation with God. Not wrong, not wrong at all, good answer. But Jesus was a little more specific. And I want to put some of the words back up on the screen here so you can see the contrast that he's trying to illustrate. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, that is, people who don't believe in this God or have multiple gods, just other religions, right? For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He's saying it's important to understand how you address God and how you relate to him, because not only does that 
change the approach, but also the content of your prayer. And he said, don't be like the pagans who relate to God in terms of their performance and their merit. Whatever God, whatever goddess it is, uh, I've got to measure up. And so when it comes to prayer, this is my opportunity to show my worth and to show how serious I am and I better have cleaned up my life ahead of time and okay, well, if I didn't, then that just means I got to spend a longer time in prayer and I got to keep saying the same things again and again to show the sincerity of my words and I got to make it long and go on and on and on and I'll be here for a while, but I'm just trying to show God how devoted that I am to him. He says, that's not your relationship with God. Now I said, you relate to God in an entirely different way. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. And those four words are going to serve as the entire outline for today. If you like to take notes, I'm going to give you the points right up front. This is our outline. This is where we're going. This is how we're going. God is a Father. He's our Father, and he's our Father in heaven. Not hard, but totally jam-packed with meaning, and I, and I pray that that God is able to, to show you that today. Why is it so great that he's a father? What's it mean that he's our father? And what is our father in heaven? How does that enhance everything? That's where we're going today. First point today, God is a father. And at this point, I need to address the elephant in the room. I know it's Mother's Day. <laughs> okay, I, I know, I'm, I'm aware, this was not a mistake. This was not a, what in the world? We saw this coming up in the planning ahead of time, but we said, no, you know what? It's, it's still going to be fine. It'll still be worth it. Here's what I'll say, just real quick. Moms, we're not throwing shade at you. Moms, we're not trying to, you know, d diminish anything that you do. We love you, moms. We need you, moms. Uh, but a lot of the things that are going to be said here, the analogies that I'll maybe make to, to fathers and whatnot, of course, a lot of them can be applied right to you. So this is my disclaimer. Please don't walk out. Please don't be upset. Don't, you know, don't do those things. But God calls himself a father. So we're going to be discussing the nuances of that and why that is so good. Now, all that being said, there's a lot of uh, moms, there's a lot of dads here today and a lot of the sons and daughters. And moms and dads, you know that when, maybe you can still remember, if not the whole day, some of the, some of the things that happened when your kid was born. And it wasn't just your child that was born on that day. What was also born was a love for that child to do anything for that child, to sacrifice everything for that child. And that sacrifice is a huge sacrifice. Uh, so I, I looked up some recent stats. 2022 is the best I got. The Department of Agriculture, I don't know why they're the experts on this, but according to them, uh, they say nowadays it costs an average of $286,000 to pay for a kid from birth to 18, not including socking away money if you want for college tuition. If you do some math, crunch the numbers, average of every year, that's about $24,000 per kid every year. Now, stats are what they are. We can debate them. We can say, well, does it factor in these variables? Right, that's not the point. The point I'm trying to make is everybody knows kids are expensive. <laughs> it's a massive sacrifice to go when it comes to kids, right? Like, like you add up all the, the dollars, the diapers, and the wipes, and the baby food, and the other food, and then you've got the clothes, and then the more clothes, and the more clothes, because they just keep growing as they should, as you did. You were a kid. Remember those days, right? And, and, and yet it's not just the sacrifice in cash and checks in your bank account. It's the sacrifice in time. 
the time when your kid wakes you up at two in the morning because they are just crying or they just come bursting in and what do you know, it's five o'clock and my kid doesn't need an alarm clock. They just do that, right? It's a little bit personal in my house and my wife is just amazing and how she takes care of that, right? But it's the time of chauffeuring the kids around everywhere, right? You don't have your dream car that you wanted when you were in your 20s. No, you traded that in for a minivan so that you could be the unpaid chauffeur to drive your kids to school, back from school, so that you could get them to the practice, so you could get them to the place, so you could get them to the games, so you could get them back home, so you could get them to the sleepover, so you could get them to everywhere else they need to go. All the while, all the while, the little ones in their car seats saying, Mom, Dad, can you play this song? Mom, I want to hear that song again. Mom, I want to hear that song one more time. Mom, I don't think I heard it enough. Let's just keep playing it to the point where it's just embedded in your brain so much that at work you start humming that tune and everyone realizes you've got kids because they've been there too, right? And yet with all the sacrifices that we could keep going on, you know what a good mom, you know what a good dad, you know what a good father, they, they don't think twice about it say, yeah, because I love you. And when you think about, like, little kids and some of the, the requests, like, little toddlers make to their parents, isn't this the reason why they are just so bold and audacious when they ask mom and dad for some crazy things? Like, where in the world? Why would you ask for that? And it makes sense. You're why. They see a mom, they see a dad, they see a parent who has sacrificed everything for them. So why wouldn't you expect a little kid to come up and just ask you for some sort of crazy, out-of-this-world request? And maybe for you and the struggles you're having with your prayer life, maybe it's not an accident that these are the first words that Jesus started talking and teaching his disciples because maybe this is where you need to start with your prayer life. Thinking about God as a father Instead of a boss, you know, instead of the jefe in charge, right? Instead of the big man who's got all the power and authority and I don't want to bother him with my things or, well, you know, I'm not even worthy enough. He's not going to listen to me anyways. And he's got a lot of power. He can make my life really miserable if I just messed up. So, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't think I'm there yet. Or, or maybe I, I got to make it so formal. I don't want to waste his time. And no, well, he's your father. Imagine how different your prayer life might be if you approached God as a, I will never forget the day you were born, Daddy. Imagine if you approached your prayer life as a, to God as a, I have sacrificed everything for you and will give you the world kind of a father. Might change. Certainly will change the way you approach him. Certainly will change the things that you say to him. And if that wasn't good enough, Jesus doesn't just say generically, pray, Father. No, he adds one word. English teachers, you'll love this, right? That personal pronoun that changes everything. He's our Father. Now, so many times we look at this and maybe it makes sense. Okay, Jesus is teaching this. Jesus is the Son of God. So I get that. He's the Son. God's the Father. So it makes sense that he could call him Father. But he says, no, I want you to say he's our Father, your Father, my Dad. Because what he has done is he has adopted you into his family. And when you and I think about that, we're probably thinking in modern terms of adoption. But understand, it is a whole lot different back then when it came to adoption. What you need to understand is when Paul, when Jesus was talking about these analogies of God adopting you in, the culture of adoption that day was a lot different. 
the culture of adoptions revolved around the fact that a, a son was so important in those days because the way the inheritance and everything got passed down from generation to generation, it all revolved around the son. So if you didn't have a son, that's why it was a big, big deal. So if you didn't have one, you could adopt a son. Now, if you were probably a, a wealthy uh, couple, wealthy family with no son, you didn't just go down to the orphanage because there really wasn't an orphanage. In fact, Christians were the first ones to actually make orphanages another time, maybe, perhaps. But you didn't just do that. What you did was you maybe had some slaves, maybe you had some servants, and you would look for the best, the brightest, the biggest, the strongest, the most intelligent, and you would take that person and say, I am no longer making you a slave, my servant. I am adopting you. I'm bringing you into my family. I'm giving you a whole new status, and everything I have is now yours. It's being passed on to you. In other words, you weighed who you were going to adopt based on your performance, based on their performance, based on if they were stronger, if they were smarter, if they were faster, if they were better, if they right, the best of the best. You vetted every single option. Now, how fascinating is it that God looked at you and said, I'm going to adopt you. Like, he went to the orphanage and saw, like, the most unruly, angry, most frustrating, most rebellious kid and said, that one. Like Psalm 51 says, surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. The Bible says we're by nature objects of wrath, we're hostile, we're enemies of God. We have no redeemable quality to us whatsoever. And God said, yep, and I'm choosing you. You know what that means? That means he didn't choose you because you were the best, the brightest, the smartest, the most faithful, the, no, he he chose you because it had nothing to do with you. And this is what, what Paul says. I'm, I'm not making this up, right? We read these words earlier. And the set time had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. There's that status. And he elaborates. He says, because you are sons, right? God sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Like, okay, he's our father, but how close are we? Daddy, like a little kid, a little daughter, she's starting to get it out, like dada or whatever. Abba, that's the equivalent. That's how close of a relationship you have with God. Uh, Daddy, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir, an heir. You are the inheritor of all of God's promises, of all of God's blessings, of all of his inheritance. Do you think that might change the way you and I live and walk our lives of faith every single day? Like imagine if you were an heir and had access to Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, some top Forbes billionaires person's inheritance. Do you think that would change things? That when you get your iPhone out and you just drop it for like the 12th time and the whole thing cracks again, right? Or, or the car breaks down or something on the house goes wrong or, or put whatever it is, do you think that would just completely ruin and wreck your day? 
No, you are an heir. You have access to this, this fortune that seems like no matter how many zeros are there, like it, it almost seems like you can never exhaust it, right? And if that's the case for just an earthly relationship, how much better for your heavenly relationship with God, who's your father, and you are his child? You have the status of a son. That is, you are an heir. You have his forgiveness. You have his mercy. You have his grace. You have his compassion. You have his peace right now. Not something you have to wait for right now, that no matter what happens, nothing can take away the inheritance that you have. It cannot perish. It cannot spoil. It cannot fade. Are you kidding me? Do you see how great that is? And maybe the greatest way that you see the compassion of your personal father is is in how the way he cleans up after you. Because isn't that what a good father, a good mother does? Baby blows out of the diaper. Oh boy. Thank you, Laura. (laughs) Right? Uh, The spaghetti night and everything is just all over the, the, the kid and everything washing the, the crayon off of the walls, the hole in the drywall that the kids somehow puts and you can't figure it out, but, but it's right there. The kid who is so ashamed because they're standing in front of a broken window with shattered glass and a ball there and they can't even look you in the eye. They just feel so terrible. And a teenager getting into a car accident. All of these things, what do they have in common? They have in common a kid who looks at mom, who looks at dad, says, I can't fix it. And they have in common a, a mom, a dad, who say, I know, and I'll clean it up. And you need to know that because when it comes to your relationship with your father, who is our father, our father, your father, we have a spiritual mess we can't clean up. Like the, the sins you just confessed, the words that you said, that whether you were calculated and how you knew they were going to hurt or whether you just threw, off, threw yourself off in an, an emotional fit of rage and they caused so much damage and you were so cavalier and quick and the damage is done. Or whether it's the attitude or whether it's the, the decisions you made to dig yourself into that hole and then the decisions on top of that to try to dig yourself out only getting yourself down further. We all have a spiritual mess And like a kid who can't even look his father in the eye, I can't clean it up. And you know what your good father does? He says, I know. I'll take care of it. In fact, you see that with his first two children, don't you? The opening pages of the Bible, Adam and Eve, they had it all, they messed up. Oh, they messed up big. And the father came, found them in the garden, and they confessed, if you will. And the father did not just say, clean it up. He said, we can't. He said, I know. But I'm your father. And I'll clean that mess up. And he cleaned it up by sending his son, who went all the way to the cross for that mess that we had. And do some of you remember the prayer that Jesus said on that cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of you may know this. That is the only prayer that we have recorded by Jesus where he never called God Father. 
because he couldn't. Because in that moment, the father had shunned him. He had kicked him out of that relationship. He had turned his back on him. He forsook him. Because that's the penalty for our spiritual mess. And that was the father cleaning it up. At great cost to him. So that he would never forsake you. So that spiritual mess would never come between you and him. So that he would always call you my child. So that he would always be your father. And as if that wasn't good enough to say amen, and we probably could, he's our father in heaven. And those two words have so much impact on that relationship we have with God. Because you know the problem with earthly fathers and earthly moms, too? We're not in heaven. We're on earth. And we're not perfect. Try as we might. Speaking from experience, I know what it's like to come home and your kids, they just want you, they need you, and the spirit is willing, but man, the flesh is weak sometimes, isn't it? You're just exhausted and you want to, but oh man. But then there's the other times when that's not even the case. You don't want to. You just want to say, scram, beat it, I need some time. Nope, I'm, I'm too exhausted, or you're selfish with your time. You want to just sit down in front of a screen and neglect your kids the whole time, or whatever it is, or you're short-tempered, or you exasperate. This is the reason why... Why sometimes when I teach this, I'm very much aware that not everyone's thrilled about the fact that we get to call God a father because that's not exactly a relationship they have fond memories of. Why across the three services that we have here today and, and maybe the many more people listening online, that I always wonder what people think of their dads. Because there's a lot of deadbeat dads out there. There's a lot of walkouts. There's a lot of people who've done things and leaving, what, the kids with mom? And so many single moms, right? Who are trying to, to wear the mom hat and the dad hat. And it's an impossible job. And, and moms, everything that you do, single moms especially, thank you. But as long as we're on earth, we're not going to be perfect. Which is why I tell everyone who struggles with seeing God as a father or anyone who struggles with this idea, it's our Father in heaven. And that means he's perfect. And that means where, where we fail, where earthly pains fail, God, God doesn't. And take you back to catechism class a little bit. Uh, there's three O words, words that begin with O, that we use to often describe God. Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. Uh, first one, omniscient. Why, why does this matter? What that means is that God knows everything. And as much as mom and dads want to say they do, and the kids call them out on that, no, you don't, right? Uh, no, God does. You know, when a good father or a good mother is trying to be there for their child and say, I know what you're going through, and sometimes they just have to say, I don't. I really don't know what you're going through, but your father in heaven does. He knows what you're going through. He knows why you've gotten here. He knows how confused and frustrated you are in the moment. And he says, and I'm already there. I know what's coming, and I will work it out for your good. I know that. He's omnipresent. That means he's 
everywhere. There is nowhere where God isn't. I will be with you always to the very end of the age, right? Always, so that when we're bogged down by traffic or schedules or just time and space, God isn't. God can be in all places. God is with you all the time. And finally, he's omnipotent, all-powerful, that he is not bound by the earthly decay of a body with time and energy that just wanes and wears down. Do you remember maybe when you were a kid or, or, or you've seen a, a little kid's eyes light up when they just like dad or mom just throws them up in the air, right? Or, or, or they see dad just like pick up this 40, 50-pound bag of salt and just puts it in the salt softener. And, you, and, and this little kid looks at that and it's like, ah, you know, there's no way they could do it. And you, you think to yourself like, my dad is so strong. He's Hercules. Like this, this is amazing. That's what it's like with your Father in heaven. He's so powerful. He is not bound by anything. He can do everything. He spoke the universe into existence. And so I'm going to close with this final analogy. And so my catechism students, you maybe have heard this analogy. Whenever I teach on this, I always try to boil it down to this. Imagine a king. Imagine a king who has a massive domain. And he has conquered enemies, he has conquered land, and he's got so many subjects and a powerful king. He's not just powerful, but he's wise and he's important and he's got authority and he's got a massive army and all these things. Now, if you're living in that kingdom, who in their right mind would dare to bother the king, to go request a meeting with the king for something so trivial as a glass of water, and on top of that, it's three in the morning? Who in the right mind would do such a crazy ask? You know the answer? His child. You would think twice about it. Three in the morning. Knock, knock, knock. Dad, I'm thirsty. And dad wouldn't think twice about helping him out. That's your father. Your father in heaven. That's how you get to relate to him. Go to him in prayer like that. And as we close today, I'm going to have you remain seated. And instead of our creed, what we're going to be doing, especially over the term of this uh, series, is I'm going to direct your attention either to the screen. It's on the screens too, otherwise page 7. Our confession of faith, what we're going to do is let Martin Luther just give his small catechism definition uh, for each one of these uh, things in the Lord's Prayer. So, I invite you to read all of these words with me. Our Father in heaven, what does this mean? With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children, so that we may pray to him as boldly and confidently as dear children ask their dear Father. By God's grace, let that be the truth. Amen.